We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Chargers fans, this is the Guilty as Charged podcast, where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome into the Guilty as Charged podcast. Happy to be joined today by our good friend of the show, Mr. Michael Peterson. You know him as at Zone Tracks, covering the Chargers for SB Nation and Bolts from the Blue. Michael, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, you know, it's been fun to cover this team. I'm, I'm sure, as you know, uh, some spirits are high. Obviously, not after this most recent loss, and, and that's something we'll get into. But overall, good season, good vibes. Really can't complain. Yeah, you know, I think everybody, you know, we'll talk about the Ravens game, of course, I wanted to get your thoughts there. But, um, you know, it's it's funny, the mood right now versus last year when the Chargers were one and five and how different things were, um, you know, unfortunately for for that team. But it's definitely more fun to cover a winning team that much. I can definitely get, agree with you there. So um, we are going to do a, a bye week check in with Michael. Really excited to get his thoughts here. Um, like I mentioned on the Ravens game, the first six games, and then uh, looking forward for this team as well. So uh, let's start with this Ravens game. Now that you've had some time to uh, simmer on it, look at some of the numbers, what is, what's kind of your main takeaway from uh, the Chargers' rather demoralizing loss at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, I just think that it wasn't so much that the Chargers lost this game. I, I think if there was any game on this schedule that, was going to give the team fits and potentially lead to a loss. This is one of those games you pointed at. It's just more of a how they lost. I mean, it wasn't, you know, like a, a Browns repeat where they ended up not winning this time. You know, we're just on the wrong side of it. Um, it wasn't even like the Cowboys game, like a last second loss or anything like that. This was just like a tail whipping. And I mean, no team, no fan base wants to be on the wrong side of this. And I don't think anyone expected that type of outing from them against the Ravens. Uh, yeah. You knew the Ravens wanted to run the ball. Okay, you just saw well, how bad of a, a day it was for the run defense against Cleveland. You saw how it was against the Cowboys. You just kind of expected the same thing to happen with the Ravens. But the Ravens 
have not had a good pass defense up to this point. So you're like, okay, well, they're probably going to allow plenty of yards on the ground. But Justin Herbert in this offense should be able to move the ball through the air and keep things close in that way. If anything, pro people probably expected the score to kind of get up there. I think the over-under was up in the 50s. So, I mean, good football was expected. Some way, shape, or form, you're probably going to be entertained in this game. Unfortunately, that just wasn't the case. And from, honestly, the very first drive, after Justin Herbert underthrew the post route, the deep pass to Mike Williams that kind of was broken up in the end zone, like the offense looked fine the first handful of plays. Yeah. Then that play happened. And then the offense was, you know, for lack of a better term, non-existent. It just was almost kind of painful to watch. It was awkward. It was weird. Things were just off. Like for, you know, without getting too deep into it, that's just what it looked like. That was the feeling. Um, and so I think one of the biggest things that Justin Herbert said post-game was that the Ravens cooked up a lot of pressures and looks on defense that they had no idea they had not prepared for, they had never seen before. And that's not something that I think teams and players say all that often after games, right? Like, I mean, just nothing, you know, nothing to be said about it, nothing to say like we could have done better or whatever. It was just a lot of like, they just kind of got the best of us. It was a lot of stuff that we didn't expect. And uh, it was just unfortunate overall. Um, but again, four and two, uh, you know, first place in the division, still one of the top teams in the AFC, still better than the Chiefs this season. There's still a lot of silver linings, but I think the, again, one of the last things that kind of is unfortunate about this loss was it's right before the bye week. And yes, it's, right. it's time to get healthy and figure things out, but that's two solid weeks of a fan base basically marinating in the fact that their team lost the way they did. And I mean, yeah. no one wants to go through that. I mean, obviously you're hoping that there's some positive momentum heading into the bye week, you know, um, but it, it, it was definitely a, a weird answer from Justin Herbert. And it definitely was, you know, a weird performance from the offense as a whole, because that, you know, it really uh, made me remember back to the game at Miami last year when Keenan Allen was like, we just, we weren't prepared today. And from last year's staff, you're like, okay, <laughs> you can kind of understand why. This staff, like you, you just hope for better because this staff is so, you know, they've they've been saying all the right things, and so far to this point, it's all been working, and so that answer caught me off guard as well. Yeah, it's just again with with the coaching staff, right? That's kind of the first thing you think about and the difference between a game like last year, and I mean, also yeah. you look at the forty-five to zero loss of the Patriots last year, right? Like that's the kind of game that I think was was the connector between these two, right? I think Justin Herbert looked as bad as he ever has, especially since that Patriots game, right? He looked like a rookie when he played the Patriots last year. This game, he kind of looked like a rookie again. Um, yeah. I, again, one of the the things that kind of burns the most is how off he looked um, on plays that have become routine, and, and especially some of these third down, fourth down, money down type plays. Uh, I know they went for uh, fourth down twice, went for it on fourth twice, and one specifically, uh, both were actually deep inside their territory, but one place specifically I remember was towards the left sideline of the stop route to rookie Josh Palmer. And this is a play they do with Mike Williams all the time because all it's time. just, you know, you, you work vertical, you threaten that, and then you just stick your foot in the ground, turn around, you kind of lay the defender behind you and hopefully you kind of box him out. And that's something Mike Williams can do. Josh Palmer isn't, you know, a slouch of a wide receiver. He's still one of the bigger, I mean, he's bigger as a receiver uh, per size, but, uh, for whatever reason, Justin Herbert launched this football quite a ways inside, right yeah. towards the numbers almost of Palmer, where, I mean, it was no shot of making this catch. It wasn't like he gave him an opportunity and Palmer couldn't come down with it. There wasn't an opportunity to be had. 
And if I, I remember, if I remember correctly, excuse me, the other fourth down was fairly similar to that it just wasn't a good look. The pass wasn't there. Um, and even, you know, extrapolating from those fourth downs, Herbert made a lot of passes that were very uncharacteristic of him. Now, this can still be off-platform passes, um, outside the pocket, scrambling type passes, but usually he's pretty good on those as well. And again, anytime someone was in his face, it just seemed to rattle him to a degree that we just haven't seen since late in last year, especially that Patriots game. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's a great point. And the offense really just, it was out of sync all day. And some of that, right, is credit to the Ravens. You know, the Ravens did execute a, a really good game plan, really confused the offensive line, confused Justin Herbert. Um, I don't know if you saw Nate Tice's tweet about it, but you could tell that they eventually just like were, you know, kind of at a loss for how to handle these pressures because, you know, they started just sending Justin Jackson or Austin Eckler to cut the, you know, edge rushers that was free. So it was, it was a tough day for the offense. I think the defense that you mentioned, like you kind of expected that going in. But at the same time, like they got after Lamar Jackson at a good level. They got, you know, two turnovers. Granted, one was in garbage time. So I know everybody was really harping on the defense. But to me, this loss was is basically about the, the offense. Like the offense did not show up at all. You know, they gave the defense two short fields to work against Lamar Jackson. And that's just not something that you can do against an MVP caliber quarterback is, is allow them to consistently have short fields. Then you throw in the special teams mess. So I'm like, okay, about the way the defense played. I definitely don't think they played great. But to me, this is more about the offense and the special teams in this, in this matchup. Yeah, I mean, the same way we just saw the Chargers pull out a game against the Browns. Now, maybe that Browns game isn't as close towards the end. I think maybe the Chargers start pulling away. If, you know, Mr. Adderley doesn't weirdly tackle with his forearms, David and Joku, right, on that, yeah. on that dig route. You know, there were just a couple of plays in the Browns game where I think they made Baker Mayfield look better and was like he, he was more productive than he normally is. Um, because the Chargers like defense has been pretty contrasting between it's like a top 10, at least before um, the past few games, but was kind of hovering around the top 10 in pass defense, uh, bottom tier, obviously rush defense. So they that formula still kind of worked against the Browns, right? They were just kind of able to keep up and want to end the end. I mean, you look at this game, Lamar Jackson, yes, he had two interceptions, one being a garbage time uh, turnover, but 167 yards, one touchdown. Um, he didn't even lead his team in in rushing. Uh, Devonta Freeman did that with, I believe, I want to say uh, 53 yards. So, I mean, in terms of what the Ravens offense did, wasn't anything crazy, right? I know the, the rush yards added up, but you're, you know, there's three guys who rushed for over 40 yards, two over 50. It was kind of a team effort that way. Uh, but just like they didn't do anything, I guess is the point I'm trying to say. Right. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. Yes, they ran the ball. They were going to get theirs on the ground because they're the Ravens, but through the air, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, uh, ill-advised, uh, sorry, schemes and stuff, uh, coverages on defense where like Mark Andrews just kept getting open on third downs. Uh, Hollywood yeah. Brown kept being open on the wrong down. You know, they just weren't able to make the plays necessary to limit that passing game. And so it was just, you know, the passing game didn't need to set the, the world on fire, right? Lamar didn't need to throw for 300 plus yards in this one. He was 167. I mean, like, how many quarterbacks are able to do that and say they're like a winning quarterback on a week to week basis? You know what I'm saying? That's scored so, 34 points. <laughs> right. No. So like, and then you mess, you mentioned special teams. So like special teams are still an issue. Like I love Darius Swinton. I think he's a heck of a coach. I love his energy. And I think he's going to turn this unit around, 
but even I know that he can only do so much with what he has. And obviously we just saw the team actually go make a move by signing Andre, Andre Roberts. Um, and unfortunately waving KJ Hill, who we all had high hopes for, but unfortunately he just wasn't getting the job done in the role that he was given. Um, right. So again, like, I guess to bring this whole thing around circle, uh, the defense, we knew they were going to let up what they were going to let up, but the offense was just that poor, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think this is going to be, you know, the, the mean going forward, of course, like the, the offense is going to bounce back. You know, we saw how prolific this unit was in the first few games. And, you know, I guess the, the biggest question is what kind of bounce back are we going to see from uh, Joe Lombardi, Justin Herbert, and this offense. And so I'll, I'll kind of leave that to you. What are your expectations for the offense coming out of the bye week? So coming out of the bye week, this game against the Patriots does worry me because, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's still the Patriots. Um, I know it's a Tom Brady-less Patriots, but this is still Bill Belichick coaching a defense for his team that has always been good. Tom Brady didn't play defense for the Patriots, right? You know, right. The, the Patriots defense is still able to do what they're able to do. We saw what they did Chargers last season. We want to think this team is much more capable and, uh, you know, competent um, this year. So uh, do I think that the Chargers win the game? Yes, I, I think their defense will be good enough against um, a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones who has been playing well this season. Um, I just don't think he, if his turn somehow turns into an offensive game, he's not going to outpace Justin Herbert. I just don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think their their weaponry um, is the same on offense, can, can stack up. But that defense does scare me. Um, but, I mean, in general, so looking down the stretch, obviously the strength of schedule is much softer. Before yeah. the Ravens game, I don't know if you saw Mike Clay's spreadsheet of the remaining strength of schedule for all 32 teams. But with the Ravens included, the Chargers had the fourth easiest schedule remaining, according to his metrics. Um, So that tells me that better days are ahead, that we don't need to get down about the Ravens game, right? Like this offense still through the the toughest six-game gauntlet, one of the toughest, you know, in the NFL to begin the season. Uh, The Chargers are still averaging almost 300 yards passing. Uh, Justin Herbert is still kind of up there um, fighting, you know, to be in the MVP race. Like he's still having a good season. Um, The offense as a whole is doing well. Eckler has seven total touchdowns. I mean – Things are happening, right? People are producing. It just didn't happen against the Ravens game. If I had to, you know, kind of predict some things, I think Justin Herbert can easily average over 300 yards per game through the remainder of the season. I don't see any defense that looks too, you know, terrifying. I don't know how uh, the Broncos are going to play as the Broncos always play the Chargers very close. Uh, Obviously, Vic Fangio, Brandon Seeley is from his coaching tree. Um, They always play good defense. I know they just kind of looked like they were exposed by the Raiders recently. So maybe that's a sign that, hey, this this offense can have some success against the Broncos, which is, you know, good um, in the end of the day. Um, But overall, I just don't see how the offense can kind of stay middling the way it was, you know, against Washington, a little bit against the Cowboys and especially against um, the Ravens this past week. There's just no way that this softer schedule isn't going to allow this offense to look more like we kind of expected this offense to look like before the season. Right. And that's, that's the thing is, you know, expectations are, are always so important. And I think, you know, we certainly on our show, we didn't expect this team to be four and two, you know, we'll, we'll gladly take the extra win. Um, you know, of course we would have loved to be, you know, five and one in this situation. Um, how have your expectations for this team changed given the fact that they did go in Kansas city, they beat the chiefs, beat the Raiders on Monday night, beat the Browns in a shootout. Have they changed for you or are you kind of, or are, is this team kind of where you expected them to be? Yeah, I think 
I think they've ex exceeded expectations. I think they've exceeded a lot of people's expectations. Um, going into the season, you know, whether no matter how I was asked at any point, you know, what's the record going to be? Uh, how do you think the team's going to do this season? I always mentioned the opening gauntlet, this five to six game gauntlet that they started with where they play like, you know, most of them were playoff teams from a year ago or teams that are, you know, predicted to also be playoff teams this year. You know, I thought three and three was a win. I mean, again, Chiefs, yeah. Browns, Ravens, those are three games you could point to and say like, those could easily all three be losses, right? right. Uh, Cowboys, Washington, Raiders. Yes, you would like to think they would win those three games as well. So three and three just made a lot of sense. Um, and I thought that'd be a win. If they went two and four, I would say, well, we kind of expected this could potentially happen. And then the schedule is going to get super soft and they could easily win most of those games and come out on the other end, uh, you know, maybe getting close to 10, 10 digits, uh, or excuse me, double digit uh, wins on the season. But yeah, four and two. And with 11 games left, let's just say, again, let's say the team's middling through the rest of the season, right? Six and five. Okay, add that six and five to four and two, and you're still a 10 and 17, yeah. right? And that's if they're just fine the rest of the season. You win uh, a couple more games than you lose down this stretch. Again, you're looking at 11, maybe even 12 wins. 12 and five is really reasonable with the rest of the schedule. So I guess to answer the original question, have you know expectations changed or anything? I think I'm cautiously optimistic. They've exceeded expectations at yeah. this point. And so it's really easy for fans to say like the team's really good this year, like they're you know exceed expectations, hop on this bandwagon. Well, for some of us who've kind of been on this roller coaster uh, of fandom and who watched this team for years and years now, it's not that simple. You know, a three-score lead in the game isn't going to be comforting because we right. just saw <laughs> against the Raiders, and again, my wife who's always kind of next to me when we're, when we're watching these games. Uh, I'm stressed, you know, 21-0. I'm like, you know, they get a first down, the Raiders do it. I'm like, here we go. The Raiders are coming <laughs> back. We've seen this movie before. And she's like, you're up by three scores. And I don't know what else to say besides, honey, I've seen this before. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've all, <laughs> we've all seen this movie. Yeah. So that's just the type of thing that it is. And, uh, you know, I would have told you that, you know, before I, I, this team has always been a, they have to do it and prove it uh, for me to feel comfortable. And it was phenomenal of them to go into like Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs. And uh, that was kind of a moment of, hey, they finally did it. You know, they did the thing, I guess, that we've all been waiting them uh, to do. So, um, yes, expectations are high, but cautiously optimistic. that They got to finish strong and hopefully, again, uh, actually make the playoffs. Yeah, I definitely agree with that assessment. And I think you could even point to, you know, the Washington game as a game where last year they lose that game. And, you know, we saw them kind of lose the lead. Then they bounced back. Then they, you know, had this great seven-minute drive or six-minute drive, excuse me, to kind of seal the win. So we've seen this team kind of prove themselves that, you know, this isn't the same old team. Then again, there are some issues. We talked about the special teams. Uh, we talked about the run defense a little bit. So what are some areas that you would like to see this team, not necessarily if you want to mention some moves that, they could potentially make go right ahead. But what are some areas that you want to see this team improve upon and how do you see that happening? Yeah, it's a good question. Obviously the, the biggest thing we talked about was the run defense. Um, the thing about when, when Brandon Staley discussed the run defense and, you know, we would ask him questions in, in these pressers, uh, you know, what can be done? Right. And, you know, sometimes it was, well, guys at the first level along the defensive line need to play better. 
um, was essentially the message. And then some weeks it was uh, the, the linebackers need to fill their holes better. Like first level is doing fine. Now it's the second level. And sometimes second yeah. level was, was trying to do their jobs, but the first level was messed up. So it caused the second level to be off. And, and he, he's just painted this picture of a synergistic relationship, right? I mean, that's, that's how it has to be. The whole, the whole you know, unit has to be synergistic and playing off each other. But right. that was kind of tough uh, because <laughs> Kenneth Murray, when he was healthy, um, was struggling a little bit, struggles to, to sift through garbage and get off blocks, you know, uh, that's why, like a lot of us, were Drew Tranquil needs to kind of come in there because he's he's doing well on limited snaps. Um, but kind of that was the picture, right? It was just something's off of this front seven. Um, and so, what can be done about that? Well, you know, Justin Jones is coming back, but is he's going to be the fix-all for uh, you know a defensive line when he's more of a pass rusher than he is a run stopper? You know, if Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil come back, well, uh, is the team going to play more Drew Tranquil because he seemed to be doing better with his snaps than Kenneth Murray was? We obviously already heard that Brand Staley thought Kenneth Murray was playing way too up and down. He needs to work on his consistency and just needs to play better overall. Uh, in terms of moves, I mean, there was, you know, the blurb about the Chargers' interest in Akeem Hicks, but yeah, I, how realistic is that? We know Tom Telesco has made, you know, some strong moves, some smart moves in previous off seasons, but he doesn't do a lot of in-season dealing. And I think he just covets his draft picks a little too much to really maybe give what needs to be paid for a Hicks deal. Um, but in general, yes, a veteran defensive tackle, somebody who, who can at least stop the run or at least attempt to would be nice during the season. But I think, unfortunately, that's going to be, um, you know, addressed in the draft this year. Plenty of good talent along the defensive front, defensive tackle. Um, guys yeah. like DeMarvin Real from Texas A&M, Jordan Davis from Georgia. Those guys are probably going to go a little bit higher. Um, but if a move can be made for someone like Jordan Davis, who, who drops down at all 6'6", 330, that's the kind of mass this, this defensive <laughs> front need needs. It, yeah. um, will be fantastic uh other than the obvious of the run defense um one of the biggest things that has been weirdly frustrating with a brand staley led team is the lack of efficiency on early down play calling and, and again that can be more of a joe lombardi issue um but whatever that fix needs to be uh they've got to find a way to find success in those early downs so they're not shouldering the load on justin herbert to basically throw them out of situations when yeah. they're behind the chains and I think it's quite incredible what he did as a rookie and then carried on into this season on third downs and in situations where he's getting pressured, people are in his face. That's not normal. That's not consistent. And it's fantastic to see from him and for this fan base to watch, but that can't be the recipe for success. And obviously we kind of saw that, I guess, get exploded, exploited, excuse me, against the Ravens, right? right. They were off, you know, just, just off kilter the whole time. And, and obviously being inefficient on those first few downs uh, really kind of came back to bite them. But they've got to find a way to be more efficient. And I think uh, against the Ravens, I thought they were a little too run heavy to begin the game. To be honest, I think there was more than once they ran on first and second down back to back, which was like a huge Anthony Lynn thing. And <laughs> passing on first down, uh, you know, from the jump with the Washington game and in week one, it, they showed that they want to throw the ball and they're going to throw the ball on these early downs. But for whatever reason, it just seemed off against the Ravens. And so, and especially the last few weeks as well. Um, so I guess besides rush defense, yeah, early down efficiency, finding a way to just get four yards on first down is huge. You know, three to four on second down again, getting to third and three, third and short, I think will help this team uh, along the way as we kind of get down this stretch. They just got to find a way to do it. Yeah, um, I think it was Hayden Winks. Hayden Winks, it might have been someone else, but uh, they're one of the, the data guys posted this uh, passing chart of 
you know, efficiency over the middle. And Justin Herbert was kind of like, a, I want to say like 18, 19 in terms of productivity and passes over the middle. And, and so that's been something that like has been a little puzzling to me with the way that they are working the sidelines as opposed to you know, working Keenan Allen over the middle or Jared Cook over the middle because they have such strong matchups there. And particularly against the Ravens, you're like, wow, these linebackers and safeties cannot really cover very well. And it was just, it's an interesting thing to look at, you know, the way that they're working the sidelines, which Herbert can make all those throws, right? But if you're trying to make things easier for him, to me, like, that's an area where they can kind of improve upon with this offense. And, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of slants with Mike Williams, but there's not been a whole lot of, like, Jared Cook over the middle, or we saw the one angle route to Austin Eckler on Sunday, and it went for, like, 35 yards. So I think that to me is an area where they can kind of, you know, work the middle of the field more often and make things a little bit easier on Justin Herbert. Yeah, I know which uh, which graph you're talking about. So it was Carter Donick. Um, okay. and he was talking about whether or not short quarterbacks have a tendency to avoid the middle of the field. And uh, it was weird. Yeah, you're right. Justin Herbert was down there. It was just percentage of his total throws that are thrown to the middle of the field. Okay. Justin Herbert's kind of down there. And while that doesn't show like, you know, a lack of efficiency somewhere else. What that tells me is, yeah, that this is, that's an area where they try to uh, avoid. And it's like, well, why are you trying to avoid that per se? Like, right. You were just talking about Keenan Allen, a guy who's a whiz in the short game route running, like he should be able to get open over the middle, um, you know, passes to Austin Eckler checkdowns and, and things of the sort should be considered uh, middle of the field. I guess he, he did count, you know, eight yards or, or more down the field. Um, but you got a vertical tight end in, in Jared Cook who should be, you know, hitting up the scene uh, on more than one occasion, right? Like he's got targets and yeah. people that you think could find success over the middle. And for some reason, they are really relying on, on guys to do things on the outside. And, and when you've got a quarterback like Justin Herbert who can throw it on a rope to some of these, you know, field side out routes and stuff like that, uh, which is one of the toughest throws in the NFL, then I kind of understand why you do that because it's also hard to defend if you run it right. Um, but like to just completely avoid the middle of the field when um, you've got guys who potentially exploit the matchups with defenders who usually roam around that area, I think it's kind of off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope that's something that changes, right? And, you know, Brandon Staley mentioned, you know, they're going to self-scout, they're going to take into all these things and, you know, they're going to look at all their APA statistics. And so, I'm hoping that that's something that uh, changes going forward. Another interesting thing, you know, in, in terms of the run defense, Joey, I don't know if you saw this, but Joey Bosa took 22 snaps as the four eye on Sunday playing on the interior, uh, which he had only done three times <laughs> heading into Sunday. So to me, maybe that says potentially they know that they're not good enough in the middle. Maybe they're just trying to, you know, use Joey Bosa a little bit more often and maybe be more disruptive and get some tackles for loss. What did you make of that? And do you think that's something that we see more often once Justin Jones is back on the field? Yeah, I thought that was interesting um, because it's, you know, despite maybe thinking that it could be an option um, in terms of trying to stop the run, right? Joey Bosa is a big enough guy to play one of those positions and like yeah. find success there. Um, you just never expected it because of how good he is on the edge, right? Right. When I saw it, I mean, yeah, surprise, but then quickly turned into this is probably the right idea here, honestly. This is like the idea of getting your best players on the field, not like getting your best this position, this position, this position, and kind of checking yeah. those boxes. It's just like who are your best players to potentially get this job done? And I think that was the right way to go about it. Um, 
I think putting him at one of the four eyes when having, which allowed the team to have Kyler Fackrell and Chenoweth on the edges. So you're maximizing right. talent, speed, athleticism, and like a lot of those things up front. You know, you're taking away, let's just say, a Justin Jones type and putting Joey Bosa there and then putting another athletic guy on the outside. So it's like, okay, that sounds great, right? You're trying to stop a rushing attack that's also led by Lamar Jackson, who is the quarterback and also who's like a human joystick. You know, I, I think that was the best way to do it. Um, but specifically, I don't think this is something we're going to see going forward unless they play any type of really uh, wiggly quarterback like Lamar Jackson. But even if they play someone like Kyler Murray, um, I don't know. This is just an example. Um, Kyler Murray doesn't run the football the same way that Lamar Jackson does. I think when right. you have an offense that's, that actually has designed um, quarterback runs in it, you're probably going to attack and scheme it a little bit differently. I think with Kyler Murray, it's simply just keep him in the pockets you know, the best you can. I like the right. idea, but no, at the end of the day, I don't think it's really going to, we're not going to see much of it if at all uh, through the rest of the season, honestly. Yeah, I think it's it's not something that I want to see him do 20 snaps a game, right? Like you're not paying Joey Bosa to, to be a defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid. Like if it happens every once in a while, you know, we saw him line up as, as the four eye and get that sack on Patrick Mahomes. Like that's great. Mix things up a little bit, but 20 snaps, I was like, that's a that's a bit much for me. Um, we are recording this on Thursday. The Broncos are about to play, you know, in Cleveland. Uh, so we'll get you out on here on this. How do you see the AFC West as it currently stands? And how do you see it shaking out at this point? And the AFC West really is, and I, I think this is such an overplayed joke, but like the wild, wild West, because people yeah. are just like, oh, it's always up for grabs. And I think that's been used a lot in recent years when the Chiefs have honestly kind of been in control, right? Like I think there's plenty of years beforehand where people have used that and it's like, no, the chiefs are still the team and they've proven it over and over again. But then this year is all of a sudden like, Holy cow, this is kind of true now, right? Like the chiefs yeah. are trying to fight out of the basement of the division. We're six weeks into the season, almost two months in and the chiefs are fighting to win the division or even get out of the basement. Not even like got a chance to win it right now. Yeah. Uh, if the Broncos win today, and the, uh, the Chiefs aren't able to overcome the Titans, who are coming off a pretty impressive win against the, the Bills. The Chiefs are, again, in the basement, like bona fide by themselves in the basement of the division, which is incredible. Right. Uh, yeah. I think the Broncos, for a lack of having, you know, not the strongest quarterback position, um, dealing with some injuries as well, uh, I think they're finding a good amount of success. But through the first, I think it was three or four weeks of the season, I don't know if you saw this posted anywhere, but the Raiders and Broncos had, I think it was the 20 like the 28th and the 32nd ranked like strength of schedule as in like easy wise, like the Broncos had yeah. a super easy schedule. The Raiders had one of, if not the easiest schedule before through the first three weeks before they played the chargers. So like right. at that point, they weren't like true contenders or they weren't like for real. Let's put it this way. Um, the Raiders, you know, uh, were able to bounce back from the whole Gruden scandal and, and played a really good game and obviously won their last one, which pushed them at four and two. And that's weird to say that the Raiders are the same record as the Chargers because it seems like the Chargers have just played much better, but they've also played much better competition while the Raiders have been able right. to take advantage of their easy schedule beforehand. Um, but this, I'll tell you what, I think this is truly a year where this is the Chargers division to lose just based on what they've done already and then the strength of schedule they have remaining. You know, yeah. I think, you know, a loss of the Chiefs might be realistic. You know, it just is. They're still the Chiefs. It was a close game. Um, I don't know if they lose one game at least to the Broncos or Raiders just because it's the division. We always play each other tough. Uh, that's just an option, okay? Then you have, you know, losing 
one of those random games maybe you don't expect to lose. So like, I, I just think the way this, this, is, this could flesh out is the Chargers potentially do win the division and get the automatic seed. I think the Chiefs will, will try to push them. I think the Raiders, while looking like they're improved, will eventually kind of fold back into the, the they're, they're just the Raiders uh, type of deal where um, they just kind of like they aren't able to sustain their success through the entire season. I think the Broncos just, you know, win probably around the same amount of games that they'll lose, kind of end up around 500 and just kind of have one of those seasons. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's crazy to say it, but this is literally a chance for the Chargers to win the division for the first time in quite some time. Yeah, uh, that is kind of crazy to see um, out loud. So just really quickly, wanted to mention the schedules here. Um, the Raiders play the Eagles this week. Then they play the Giants, Chiefs, Bengals, Cowboys, Washington football team, Chiefs. So that's a tough schedule for them in the next little bit. Um, then they wrap it up at the Browns, Broncos, Colts, and Chargers. So definitely more difficult than what it has been. And then the Broncos, I know, is like strikingly different than what it has been. So they're playing the Browns tonight. Washington, Dallas, Eagles, Chargers, Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs. So a little bit of a more difficult situation for those two for sure going going down the stretch. Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, you've got the You've got the two games against the Chargers. You've got the two games against the Chiefs. Uh, I think for both these teams, if I'm not mistaken, for the Raiders and Broncos, uh, you know, they haven't played their two games against the Chiefs or Chargers. So right then and there could easily be four losses, right? Yeah. Just like within the division against the two top teams, arguably the two top teams in the division, no matter what the records say. Um, and then there's some of those tough games, right? The Browns, um, the Bengals are a team that seems to be much improved. I don't, again, their schedule might've been pretty soft up to this point. Four and right. two is kind of incredible for Joe Burrow and those guys. Um, so just games like that. Yeah. I heard the Lions in there for the Broncos and some, you know, the Eagles are still kind of uh, a middling team at the moment, but yeah, it does sound like the Raiders and Broncos will really have to fight, uh, through the final stretch of the season to, to, I guess, remain relevant in the division. Yes. Yeah. They both got to play the Cowboys as well. So we know how yes. difficult mm -hmm. that matchup is. The Cowboys offense right now is, is insane to watch. So, yeah. um, you know, definitely keep an eye on that one. Uh, Michael, let us know, let everyone, our listeners know what you have kind of in the works at Bolts from the Blue and where they can find your work. Yeah, so you can find all my work at BoltsFromTheBlue.com. That is SB Nation's Los Angeles Chargers community. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tracks. Uh, in terms of stuff I got going on, um, we've been lucky enough to do a lot of partnership posts recently with some sponsors at SB Nation, more so than any year beforehand. So it's been really cool to do more long form editorial work. Um, I've got one coming up for November where basically I highlight uh, a member of the Chargers team that's doing a lot of good work in the community and I kind of flesh out all the impact that he's making. Um, I did one on Austin Eckler that's been out, I want to say it came out late last month and his foundation, everything he's done, which is really cool to do. Um, other than that, um, we just partnered with DraftKings, now the official betting partner of, of SB Nation. So a lot of nice. uh, betting posts, if you guys are degenerates or anything like that, <laughs> um, more than me, I'm not the biggest better. My wife would kill me if I haven't put money down on sports, no matter if I think I'm smart at it or not. Uh, but it's uh, it's been a ton of fun. So expect a lot more betting and odds posts, especially on, on the website, especially through the next few weeks. That's awesome. Love to see that, man. And uh, keep up the good work. Chargers fans, make sure and follow him. At Zone Tracks, show some of our uh, fellow beat writers some love. You know, I think Michael is doing some great work covering the Chargers and make sure and follow him. And thanks for joining me today, Michael. Yeah, man, appreciate it.
We'll talk to you later. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.